from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Monday night edition of the program. Happy to be with you guys. Hope you had a great weekend. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Of course, that's Valdez with an S, and uh, the same way it is on social media. Happy to chat with you there as well. And uh, a couple of stories, right? It was the Grammy Awards yesterday, and uh, let me tell you, I know most people, uh, I think the the um, the going terms, ah, who cares, I hate the Oscars, I hate the Grammys. I don't. I actually enjoy the Grammys. Uh, I, you know, I do. I When I'm in my car, I'm, I'm listening to pop music, uh, hip-hop, uh, reggaeton. You know, those are things that I'm listening to, in, in addition to lots of talk radio. But when I'm not listening to that stuff, uh, I, I don't mind watching the Grammys once a year. However, in the last four or five, maybe six years, right? I think 2018 might have been the last time that I really watched the Grammys. Matter of fact, I even threw a party, had a viewing party. It was a really fun time. But since then, I feel it's become increasingly more and more and more woke. And there's a, there's always a, a focus on wokeness. Now, I don't I didn't hear too much of the wokeness last night. I didn't see the, the program. But there was uh, some... In Spanish, we would say un revolu. <laughs> there was a whole controversy there with one of the rappers who won three Grammy Awards getting arrested uh, for getting into some sort of altercation. And um, it happens to be the same rapper that was on the Bill Maher show saying that he would not endorse Joe Biden. Now, some people were speculating that one thing had to do with the other. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm not sure. I don't know the full story there, but we will uh, get to the bottom of it. Now, in other news, a couple of things I want to talk about. The, uh, the president of El Salvador, Naib Bukele, uh, he's been reelected with 83% of the vote. That's big. 83%. That's huge. While uh, his nearest competitor had only 7% of the vote. And this is a guy that was very tough on crime. Really tough. Like, they were dealing with major issues with gangs, and he uh, just locked them all up, for lack of a, a whole lot of better words. He's been extremely tough on crime. A lot of people are saying he's, uh, you know, the the favorite dictator for Latin America. Of course, once you become tough on crime and you, you do anything that you're supposed to do to be traditional in any of your views, right away you become a dictator, you become, you know, they treat you like Trump, and they're trying to treat this guy like Trump. Um, I'm not a huge fan. I don't really know him I, from what I've seen. I, I like him. He has a good record. Uh, he seems to be tough on crime. He's made El Salvador great. You know what that does? It reduces illegal immigration from El Salvador because people don't want to leave El Salvador as much because they can stay in their country. There's opportunities in their country. They see hope and they don't see despair. So they say, hmm, I mean, if things get any worse in the United States, we're going to start emigrating somewhere, right? I don't know where. 
But what, what, there is no last hope, right? We are the last hope. Uh, but it would be great. To, I mean, some, the libs always say, oh, we're going to go to Canada. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to defect from uh, the New York metro area from here in Jersey to uh, to somewhere in South Florida. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, only time will tell. But where do, where do those people go? Uh, well, they're staying. They're staying in El Salvador, most of them. Um, I wouldn't say most, but some of them are staying in El Salvador. And they've uh, reelected their president with 83% of the vote. So I'm going to get into that in a little bit as well. I also want to talk about this uh, NBC poll that has Trump beating Biden in the biggest lead yet. Yep. This is um, from, let's see here. Let's take a look here. I'm trying to give you some of these numbers. Here we go. So we're looking at how he's doing. 60% disapprove of Joe Biden. Isn't that something? Wow. That's according to NBC News. And uh, I'll get into that in a little bit as well. But it, it doesn't surprise me. Biden is a sinking ship. How long is he going to be around? I don't know. But clearly, even Democrats are very upset. I saw an audio clip. And I was shocked when I saw the, the guy who played Remy in, um, I guess that's uh, Higher Learning. And he, he plays like a skinhead, but then he turns out to be this rabid liberal anti-Trumper. Very famous. I'm just forgetting his name. Curses all the time. I'll play the clip for you. Michael Rappaport. And Michael Rappaport, uh, he shocked the world, I don't know, six months ago, seven or eight months ago, when he said, uh, hey, I'm starting to look at Trump. I'm starting to look at Trump. And meanwhile, uh, he puts out another video over the weekend because he's disgusted disgusted with what he saw happening with immigration. And he says now that uh, Trump is in play. And I think that's that's uh, that's very telling that Democrats are kind of, uh, I don't know, are they getting sweet on Trump? Check this out. Trump is on the table. The other day in New York City, six illegal aliens jumped a New York City cop, NYPD's finest they jumped a New York City cop in Times Square and were arrested and released without bail. I know it's a city thing. I know it's a state thing. I know all that. I know all that. I know all that. Okay? Stay with me. Released without bail. Came out of the courtroom on some Tupac middle finger with the Detroit Red Wings t -t -t jersey. Let me tell you something. What the is the world coming to if you could be from another country beat up a cop in new york city and walk out with no f bail what the f is the world coming to what the f is the world coming to i know mayor adams you're from brownsville brooklyn i know this like what the f have i gotten myself into stay with me Okay, now that is actor Michael Rappaport. Uh, you, again, I always call him Remy from the movie Higher Learning and we're, that famous curb stomp scene. And let me tell you, this guy, I've never been a fan. Um, and I'm not saying he's not talented. Uh, I was a fan of his, his acting work. I'm just saying his political stuff, you know, obviously he was very hard to the left. Uh, but I think he's seen what happens when you go so far to the left. We're living it, right? You had uh, Ayanna Presley the other day. I mentioned this, I think, on Friday where she was complaining that that Walgreens had left San Francisco 
And she was like, shame on them. Shame on them because the moms don't have a place to buy their sanitary napkins and the moms don't have a place to buy their baby formula. And this is a disservice to the community. Meanwhile, the real disservice to the community is the rampant crime that's allowed to occur. On my Instagram today, I shared a, a story from a law enforcement account that was a video of a NYPD officer trying to arrest someone inside of a tent city that Mayor Adams has constructed. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has constructed these tent cities with cots all over the place. It looks like a prison. It's disastrous. And they're all laughing and taunting the cops. These are the worst of the worst from whatever country they're coming from. They're not here to bring any uh, good tidings or good cheer. We're in really bad shape. And I think most of us don't even know what's going on. All we see is stuff at the border. And we think, oh, new Americans that are here to help. (laughs) Yeah, it's only going to get worse, folks. We're going to continue that conversation straight ahead. Uh, You guys may have heard of um, Jesse Lee Peterson. You've seen him on television. You've heard him on the radio. Uh, He's a great commentator. He's coming up next. uh, He's scheduled to come up next with us to discuss this and a lot of other things. So keep it locked right there. And again, if you want to join the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We continue our discussion, and we're talking about Biden. We're talking about the border. We're talking about him losing minority votes and so much more. And I want to get to the bottom of it with um, our guest, uh, the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. He's uh, the host of a fantastic show, and uh, he's with us right now. Rev, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me on, Rich. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So I want to play a clip for you, and it's a little longer than I'd normally play, but we might get out of it quick. But I want you to hear what Killer Mike, the rapper, told uh, Bill Maher when he was on his program, saying that he, he, you know, he was kind of pressed to uh, support Joe Biden, and he wouldn't do it. Listen to this. What are your feelings on the election coming up? I mean, Biden and Trump, are you as depressed about that as most people, my, as a choice? My, my feeling is pick your policy, not your person. Find out. This is, this is not the Dallas Cowboys versus your favorite team. This is, this is the policies that will affect our generations for the next 20, 30, 40 years to come. So close your eyes, listen to the policies that are being pushed, and... and Pay attention even to the people who don't have a chance of winning because they're going to say policies you may want to push. And I would say do that, but make it policy-based. Make so, it policy-based. so that means you're for... That means I'm, I'm for black people and happy black history. But you're not, you're not saying one candidate over the other? Hey, man, my nigga, you ain't going to get me in no trouble tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. So he tells Bill Maher, hey, you're not getting me into any trouble tonight. Uh, Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, uh, what do you make of this? Do you think that this is indicative of 
so many others in the black community. It seems to be you got 50 Cent that's, you know, he's been out there saying some stuff that he's not happy with immigration. Snoop Dogg's praising Trump. Uh, there seems to be a, a shift in in the um, in the sentiment in the hip hop community. What, what do you think? Well, you're absolutely right, especially with black men. Uh, black men seem to be uh, supporting the great white hope, Donald Trump, over the black women. And there are a lot of black, some black women who are supporting him too, but mostly black men. And I believe it's because a lot of, especially with the rappers and entertain, uh, the entertainers, they knew Donald Trump prior to him becoming the president the first time mm-hmm. around, and they liked him then. But for some reason, they fell for the lie coming from the Democratic Party with Donald Trump uh, first ran and uh, the second time that he ran. But now they're starting to wake up and see the reality between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And Joe Biden clearly is not the, uh, for the people. A lot of blacks are suffering more now than they did you know, when Donald Trump was there, they had work, they had money in their pockets. Uh, things were cheaper, gas prices were lower, a lot of blacks were working. And that has all changed. And also the blacks can see that uh, Joe Biden and this administration are allowing the illegal aliens to come in, inviting them in. And a lot of these people are ending up in the inner cities. Yeah. And in the inner cities, things are already bad. But these people bring in crime and drugs, and they're going to war with the other the, the black citizens, and so they are really being affected by that. And the so-called black leadership refused to do anything about that as well. So it's definitely having an impact, which I think is a good thing. Now I'm seeing articles from some of the left-wing publications that are basically trying to set the stage, saying, "Look, if Biden wins in South Carolina." then he doesn't have any issues with the black vote. Do you think that's accurate? Not at all. It's not true. And I would be surprised. You know, you never know how things really going to turn out until they happen. Right. But I would be surprised that black, uh, black people are, supported, are supporting uh, Joe Biden this time around as they did before. I don't think it's going to happen in the way that the media is trying to make us believe. It's just not true. And plus, you can't trust the media at all, especially the liberal media and not all conservative media, because a lot of conservative media, not for Donald Trump as well, because they they are for themselves. They're not thinking about the people at all. So but you can't you just can't trust them now. And a lot of people know that. Yeah, I agree with that now. Do you think that there is a, a, a Hail Mary approach that Biden uh, or maybe Harris might be able to pull off? Do they do they join forces or do they stay as disparate as they've been uh, for for Biden to try and make a play for black votes? Do you think maybe Obama comes in to try to save him or is there the entrance of uh, a Michelle Obama later on? Well, I hear that. Uh, of course, what I'm hearing, I don't know if it's true or not, right. but Obama's already trying. I don't know if he's ever not been involved, but he's already trying to do that now to come in and try to draw the black voters back in. And as far as Harris, she's never really been a favor of the black people. Uh, even when she ran for president, she quit a long time ago uh, because the blacks were not in support of her. 
Now, as far as Big Mama Michelle, I don't mm. know, man. I just personally, and I could be wrong, right. I don't think Michelle is going to run. I, I, I know she'd probably be involved in trying to help get the black folks out. But who knows with the Democrats, you can't trust them at all. They would do, they are desperate to maintain power, so-called power and wealth for themselves. So they may try to bring Big Mama Michelle in at the last minute. But I would be surprised. But who knows? They can't be trusted at all. Now, earlier you mentioned black men as being the, the number one defector of, uh, you know, within the uh, the Democrat establishment of Biden and, and even the Democrats. And and I, I don't doubt that in any way. I think I agree with you. But I'm wondering why specifically black men and even Hispanic men. It's also Hispanic men. Uh, do you think if it's a situation of machismo? Is it um, employment? Why do you think? Do you think it's this big push that that the Democrat Party has kind of taken on the leftist mantra of pushing for transgenderism and queer theory and all of that, and that may not sit well in that community? What are your thoughts? Well, all of those things have definitely had an impact, but uh, one thing that I've noticed that the Biden administration tend to focus on black females as opposed to black men. In a normal society, it is known that the order of God is God in Christ, Christ and man, man over the woman and woman over children. It's a spiritual order. And normally you encourage men to work and to lead the family and to lead the way. But with the Biden administration, there's a clear focus on the black female as opposed to black men. And I think personally, because I do hear sometimes from some black men, they're taking an offense to that because it shows a disrespect for right. the black man by putting the black woman before the man. And the uh, ever since the so-called civil rights movement happened, which was the worst thing that ever happened to the blacks other than abortion itself, was the civil rights movement. And since the civil rights movement, uh, the so-called black leaders, the Democratic Party have always put the black woman before the man. Rev, I want you to stand by. We're going to take a quick pause. We're coming right back with the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson discussing why the civil rights movement, in his opinion, was the worst thing to happen to black America. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. 
All right, America, welcome back. We're on with the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, and we're having a conversation on lots of things, but specifically his most recent comment that the civil rights movement was the worst thing to happen to black Americans. Jesse Lee Peterson, why do you say that? Well, the reason I say that the civil rights movement is the worst thing uh, that happens to the happened to the blacks other than abortion is because I grew up on a plantation down in Alabama. I mm. grew up on a so-called uh, Jim Crow laws where the signs were there. And I grew up at a time when black people, they had families, they were individual thinkers. They did not have so-called leadership over them. They only God was over them and the family, the parents were over the children and God was over the parents. And they worked hard. They bought land. I have family members who had 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 kids in some cases or more. But yet they owned land. They sent their children to school. A lot of them went to college. And they did well. They came back as educators. And they, they were independent thinkers. And they did not hate the white man. They were not blaming white people for their issues because they understood our, uh, the issue was spiritual and that our battle was a spiritual battle between good and evil and not physical at all. And so the blacks treated the whites the way that they would like to be treated. And most of the whites treated the blacks the way that they would like to be treated because we understood that it was spiritual. And blacks were independent thinkers and they worked hard. But once the civil rights movement came along with Martin Luther King and others, they deceived the blacks by coming up with this phony idea that racism exists and the white man was trying to hold you back and you should be mad at them and we want to be your leaders. And a lot mm. of blacks uh, fell for the lie that, okay, we'll let you be our leaders. And they started to allow Jesse Jackson, Martin Luther King, and others to think for them. And it began in uh, Rich. At first, most blacks were Republicans during that time. Yeah. Because the Democrats would not allow the blacks to be a part of the Democratic Party. And so they were Republicans. And that's who started the Republican Party was blacks and whites together because they were not allowed into the Democratic Party. Even Martin Luther King at the time was a Republican. But they made deal with the Democrats under Lyndon B. Johnson. And they decided, okay. We're going to bring the blacks over to the Democratic Party if you let us be the leaders. And so they offered them governmental programs. And at that time, they started giving the woman everything and making her feel she was better than the man. Than the man. And they set themselves up the leaders. And then the blacks stopped thinking for themselves. They stopped believing in God. They stopped believing in marriage. And they allowed these people to become their gods. And it's just been downhill ever since. And that's why the blacks are suffering, not because of racism. Racism doesn't exist because they are angry. They have hatred in their hearts. And it doesn't start with the white people. It starts in the home because most of the blacks are angry at their mothers and yearning for their fathers. But they have been told that it's the white man. They just stop thinking for themselves. And it's just been hell ever since. Wow. That was a lot. And, and I can't say I disagree with you because I think you were spot on. But I, I think the psychological aspect you just mentioned is really an interesting one that I haven't heard before uh, from that perspective. Right. I think we've heard from the perspective 
that, uh, yeah, uh, we have to be nicer or different or lenient uh, with with black men in particular because they're disproportionately represented, uh, excuse me, represented in prisons. And because they're incarcerated at higher rates, then that somehow must be a result of something that we've done. And because they're angry and because they're afflicted, they are more susceptible to crime. And this is something I got to say, look, my parents are Puerto Rican, both born in Puerto Rico. I was born in Brooklyn and um, I, I've, I've felt different growing up and I, I, we, we were poor and we went through a lot of things, but I never felt like I should be treated different than everyone else because of my humble beginnings. So when I hear those arguments, I think, you know what? That sounds like a lot of BS to me, but the position that you've put it from, which is they're hurt because of issues with their moms and they're yearning for their dads. That to me makes all the sense in the world, Rev. I can promise you, and without a doubt, that all black, all people really uh, are, uh, who are turned away from their fathers are yearning for a return to the father, the love of a father. But because human heart is evil, until they are born again of the father, they are deceiving the people for their own thrills. They deceive the people in order to control them so they can feel better about the hell that they live in. And so the blacks are being deceived not only by uh, liberal whites and some right old Republicans, but by black people, period. The, the, the so-called leadership, all the, these black mayors and the black governors and the blacks, they are deceiving the blacks for personal gain because as long as they can keep the blacks angry and keep them blaming the white man for their anger, they're going to use the blacks for personal gain, and they're never going to make the situation better because if the blacks ever woke up, those people would be out of business. And so, again, it's a spiritual battle. It has, I can promise you, too, that the black issues, the black people who have issues, white, the white people has nothing to do with it, period. Zero. It has nothing to do with slavery, it has nothing to do with systemic racism. It has nothing to do with Jim Crow. It has everything to do with the destruction of the family. The mothers took over the home. She turned the children away from the fathers. And the, and the children were creating her image, the hell that she lived in. That's why the kids are angry. The boys and the girls act just like their mothers and grandmothers because you become like what you hate. But instead of being honest about that, they blame it on the whites because they want to use the blacks. Our battle is a spiritual battle. It's not physical. Never has been. Never will be. Ain't going to be. It's impossible. It's all spiritual. That's why I tell all people, in order to go free, they must overcome anger. Anger is evil. Anger is the nature of evil. And until they go and forgive their mothers and grandmothers for turning them away from their fathers, and forgive their fathers for not protecting them from evil in their mothers, stand between the children and the mothers, they're never going to be happy. I don't care what the white man gave them or however they agreed, they're still going to be miserable until they overcome the anger and return to the fathers. Wow. And that's for Very all deep. people. Yeah, I agree. I think that that, that is a, a, a wound that has to be healed. Otherwise, people will live a lifetime fighting through that wound. 
Folks, we're on with uh, Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, he's a radio host, a broadcaster, and uh, the founder of the Christian Ministry a Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny, B-O-N-D, or BOND. And uh, we're going to come right back with him and wrap up on this topic. And I want to get your thoughts on immigration. Elon Musk has some musings on why immigration is as out of control as it is. And uh, I'm wondering if you think he's right. Don't go anywhere. Jesse Lee Peterson with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. It's Rich Valdez. I'm here with Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, he is the founder of a Christian ministry called Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny, B-O-N-D. And Rev, Elon Musk took to uh, Twitter to make a comment, and his comment was pretty succinct, right? He basically says that the immigration problem at the border is really about Biden remaking the electorate. Do you think he's right? Absolutely. It's 100% about that. You know, I was thinking the other day, we hire a government to take care and solve problems for us, fix the road, draw military, shut down the borders, protect us from our enemies. And instead of solving problems like that, the government create problems. And that's all this administration has done is to create problems. And it's because they're on an ego trip, they're about themselves and not about we, the people. They work against us and not for us. And that's why they leave the borders open. That's why they invite the illegal aliens from around the world to come on in. It doesn't matter because they're thinking for, about getting votes for themselves, staying in power, and so-called power, and trying to figure out how they can keep money in their pockets. They could care less about the American people. It, it, think about this, Rich. They send money mm -hmm. to Ukraine and all around the world, but not one dime on building the wall, finishing the wall that the Great White Hope started, drilling oil so that the American people can work and make it a safe or strong military. Everything about our country is weaker and not stronger. The government is not our friend. They only bring problems. They keep the race divided by pretending that it's racism or white supremacism. It's none of those things, but they want us fighting so that they can use us for personal gain. Yeah, you know, I, it's, uh, I agree with you. I think you're making a really good point. And what I find interesting about this is how the... The Biden administration, they just turn a blind eye to just about everything. And yes. ultimately, long story short, I had some work done in my bathroom. And the guy that I hired to do the work in my bathroom is a black guy. And I follow his business on one of the social media. And when I saw a post that he put today, it was nothing to do with bathroom renovation. <laughs> he said, let me tell you something, folks. These people that are coming through the border are replacing men like me, black men that are out here trying to make a living. 
And it was a fascinating post because he didn't strike me as an overtly political guy. But he was basically saying that illegal immigration is going to it's going to hit him and 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 black men. And even I think he even mentioned uh, Hispanic men uh, who were here already looking for work that are going to be undercut by the onslaught and influx of of cheap labor. And and I thought, you know, there's something we talk about sometimes, but now it's not people like you and me talking about it. This is the guy who redid my bathroom. <laughs> and and I just thought that was remarkable that these are the conversations that we're hearing from, from small business owners. It is true. Rick, may I give out my website so people can find Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's a dot com or And one thing I want to add to what you said is that you notice the blacks have elected black representatives, black black congressmen, black mayors, and black this. And, and those black people are not standing up for the blacks. They're not saying no, shut down the borders. They're not even looking out for the blacks who voted for them because they, they don't care, Rich. They're mm-hmm. just about whatever it is to keep them in power, to keep... to receive so-called money and power for themselves. They don't, you know, when the last time you heard uh, a black representative say shut down a black Democrat, especially saying shut down the borders, Biden, we need work. Stop letting these illegal come into our community. Shut down the borders, protect the black community. Instead, they stand with Joe Biden. Look at the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of New York and all over the places. They stand against the blacks that voted for them and not for the blacks, but they pretend that that racism is this. They're liars, they're deceivers, and they're using the blacks for their own personal gain. And that's why I'm encouraging all people to become individuals again. This is the United States of America. And what made this country so great is that we were individuals who thought and did for ourselves and not group thinking, because whenever you join a group, you're going to think like the group, and that group going to lead you down the pathway of destruction. But the man or woman who is willing to stand by themselves, and they'll be able to work with the people who are on the side of good. We got to combat that to this. That that rapper guy that you uh, played Killer in Mike. the very beginning. Yeah, the one thing he said that I disagree with, he said that. He was for the black people, something like that, right? Right. Something like that. But we we are Americans, man. We are one nation under God, and we got to stop being separate as American citizens. We got to stop seeing race and see what's right and do what's right for the country, not for based on colors, but based on what is right. Amen to that, Rev. Now, I want you to let everybody know how they could follow you on social media. They could go to rebuildingtheman.com, rebuildingtheman.com, thefallenstate.tv, the F-A-L-L-E-N, thefallenstate.tv, or jessaleepeterson.com. Folks, check out those websites. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter and wherever else you're doing social media because uh, he's a good follow. I see him all over social media, and it's excellent content. You hear some of this provocative stuff that really makes you think. 
And Rev, I want to thank you for staying up late with us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And we got to get the great white hope, Donald Trump, back in office. <laughs> I love that. All right. Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, thank you, sir. And straight ahead, of course, your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Quite a conversation with uh, the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Make sure you check out his website, rebuildingtheman.com. And I want to continue um, this discussion on are black Americans on board with Joe Biden or not, or Hispanic Americans? Uh, Because I I think we um, overstate that, right? Uh, I, I hope that what we're seeing is an actual trend come Election Day because it seems like Biden's losing it. Now, does that mean that he won't get the majority? No, I think he'll still get the majority of black votes. Black men are still probably going to come out strong for the Democrats. But I think it's a question of, you know, what percentage and how much of a, a loss in that percentage will he suffer? And, you know, this is uh, coming from the party that once dominated like close to 90 percent. Uh, will it be close to 70? Will it be close to 60? We'll see. We'll see uh, how, how that goes down. But there's an interesting clip that I saw from Fox News. This is a good one. So the um, correspondent is on the street outside of a housing project in Brooklyn, New York. And he gets the reactions from the folks on the street telling them, hey, the Biden administration's invested $25 million into your community. Listen to this. Joe Biden's given this neighborhood $25 million. Ah! Oh! Whoa, $25 million. Wow, what the hell? USA, USA. What do you think it should be spent on? The schools, the parks. The illegal immigration problem. Fresh fruits, uh, vegetables. This is life. That elevator over there, broken. These houses, dirty. Recreation for the kids to get out the street. Well, sorry. He's spending it all so you could charge your electric scooter. Get the f*** out of here, Joe. I don't like that. That's ghetto. What's... Mm. He's spending it on charges? Man, they need to charge his brain. They had to take the top of my head off a couple times, <laughs> see if I had a brain. Biden says once he installs these charges for electric scooters, there will be less racism. How does that equal less racism? Come on, you're kidding me. There's no racism here. There's actually more racism that he's doing this because it's really not helping the community. I don't see the correlation, but I also don't see the correlation between Joe Biden and being president. I don't know who put that mother in office, but it wasn't me. So you don't like him? Well, you know, if you don't know if you're voting for Trump or Biden, according to Biden, then you ain't black, right? He said that to Charlemagne the God quite famously in the last uh, election. So uh, we'll see how this this continues to go for Joel Baboso Biden. Plus, we're going to get an update on what's going on with the strikes uh, from the United States. 85 strikes have taken place. We're going to get an update on that from uh, Major General Bob Dees coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... 
Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Um, happy to be here with you. Hour number two of the program. Uh, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And over the weekend, I saw that Senator, former Senator Lieberman, who ran for uh, president, um, he, he gave an interview and he says that Trump got the Middle East right. And and I think that's important to note because, you know, he was a independent, um, you know, center left kind of guy. And a lot of people think Trump's foreign policy was not not there. Right. He, he turned things upside down. He he made all these problems with China. He focused so much on China that the rest of the world uh, was ignored. These are some of the criticisms I've heard. But I tend to think, you know, I just take the facts as what they are. We were safe. There were Abraham Accords. There was talk of peace in the Middle East. And uh, I think he even got nominated for a couple of Nobel Peace Prizes. So what's what's what gives, right? What gives is really the question that I have. Over the um, last few days, we've had some conversations about why Biden was silent on the death of these American service members that were murdered. And then there was a response and the United States um, launched 85 strikes and Jake Sullivan was asked what his thoughts were over the weekend on the Sunday shows. Here's what he said. We do believe that the strikes had good effect in degrading the capabilities of these militia groups to attack us. Uh, and we do believe that uh, that as we continue, we will be able to continue to send a strong message about the United States' firm resolve uh, to respond when our forces are attacked. Now, of course, critics like me say, you know what, you can't sit there and tell the bad guys that you're coming and you're coming and you're coming and give them, you know, several days to prepare and then um, and then strike and then think that this is somehow effective and sending a strong message. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, we've heard, you know, from other military officials on on what their thoughts are. But I want to get an update now that the weekend's passed and we've seen how things have gone. And I also want to speak with a, an expert. And, and I say he's an expert because this is a retired major general that spent more than three decades in the U.S. Army and a lot of uh, command staff positions, but including as a commander of the U.S.-Israeli Combined Task Force for Missile Defense. 
and he now runs the Center for Healthy Veterans. Uh, welcome, Major General Bob Dees, sir. Rich, great to be with you again. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you being here, sir. And uh, I want to get your take on this because, you know, General Dees, th- there's a lot of talk. And some people, I think, um, are are shy to mince words. I think others maybe just don't have the command on this subject that you do. But uh, I, as an innocent bystander, if you can call me that, as a layman, I think that Biden made a lot of tactical blunders and made America look very, very weak and potentially put us in more danger with the way he responded to these things. Um, do you think that this 85 strikes were effective, like Jake Sullivan said? Uh, was it theater or was it actually effective? Well, uh, the 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 real measure is uh, whether it deters. You know, deterrence is what we're seeking to prevent mm-hmm. some of their actions. Uh, as I understand, just this last night, there was another attack. The same people that we attacked, there was another attack by them uh, in retribution. They killed uh, six uh, Kurdish folks and, uh, you know, placed uh, more Americans at risk. So the first uh, acid test is, uh, did it deter? Uh, not yet. Um to give the administration credit, you know, they have taken action. It was slow. They signaled their punch, but they've taken action. Uh, I hope it's effective, but uh, their battle damage assessment is critical. They've got to, uh, each after each of these attacks, they've got to see if they produced a pre- uh, impressive effects or if they actually produced uh, good outcomes that deter the uh, proxies on the ground. We'll see. Right. Well, again, if, if we just take this snapshot in time, and again, you're the retired general, not me, but uh, I'm thinking <laughs> a, a, 85 uh, strikes and you're still going to come and attack and kill six more people. Clearly, this thing didn't work, right? If my mother was around, she'd be throwing her chancleta at me, you know, her slipper. And she'd say, you didn't get it right. Yeah, of course. So, you know, wh- yeah, what of course. You? do we do it again? Well, they need to. This, this is a campaign. It's uh, really two campaigns going on. One is campaign to uh, deter Iran uh, from uh, further action by their proxies. Uh, I can address that later because I don't think we're attacking the right people. We need to make Iran uh, pay for this as yeah. much as their proxies. Uh, and then secondly, we, we just have a defensive battle going on in the uh, Red Sea. Uh, they've shut off uh, some of the major shipping of the world. This is one of our national strategic objectives that has been grossly violated, and uh, the U.S. has uh, has had not a has not had a, a very effective response to that either because uh, the Houthis have still shut it down. Right, and now let's dig into that just for a second because what is their purpose in shutting down this this commerce? Is the benefit just to screw over the United States uh, or? It, to maybe control and say, hey, no, 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 we're going to blow you up unless you pay the piper. Is it like a toll uh, extortion type of thing? Really, I, I don't I don't understand why they, they're always hitting these ships. Right. I think they have uh, allegiance to the, the Hamas in Gaza Strip. And so at least uh, what they what they say is that they're doing this until Hamas is uh, given humanitarian support. And there's a two state solution and all sorts of uh, things related to the Middle East uh, uh, peace process. Uh, so now the Houthis have been in a long-standing uh, war with the Saudis. So it's a uh, you know it's back and forth uh, between Sunni and Shia uh, Muslims. Uh, but they've always sat there on the chokehold of the Red Sea, and uh, they they've we've allowed them to do that. And now they have literally shut down a large uh, you know supply uh, around the world. Uh, 
Yeah. I, I Rich, I would I also add, add. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I would also add, you know, that this whole notion of uh, people say we might cause a wider war that, well, the reality is we are in a war. It's, yeah. it's that the U.S. naively denies it. Uh, the Iranian uh, folks know that they're prosecuting a war uh, through their proxies and, and directly, and they're developing their nuclear weapons. So we've been at war with Iran for quite a while. Uh, our strategy of appeasement has failed. <laughs> we failed at deterrence and uh, our weakness. So over time, as you mentioned, invites aggression. And uh, regrettably, you know, the uh, we have uh, missed the uh, ounce of prevention and we'll have to suffer through uh, the pound of cure as we try to work this now. Now, you know, General, you just mentioned something that I thought was really poignant. And, and that was, you know, we're, we're in a war with Iran, which I believe if people are shooting rockets at you and they're killing your soldiers, that's a war in, in my best estimation. But sure. mm-hmm. all that being said, I've had some guests on this show that that will go as far to say we've been at war with Iran in one way or another since 79. And whether there's elements of truth to that or elements of hyperbole, either way, I was looking at an article somewhere in one of the papers today, and it it showed some um, adult film star that went to Tehran and went to to, um, the, the old or was in Iran and went to the old U.S. embassy. And and the artwork that's on the wall, like this this nearly decapitated Statue of Liberty that's like bleeding out and and just really it really emphasizes how they really feel about us. And and I just think, you know, just imagine if there was artwork like that somewhere in the United States in a former, uh, you know, Iranian embassy where we have, you know, the Iranian flag or the Ayatollah being beheaded or something like that. Uh, I think this would cause an outrage. Yeah, of course it would. Yeah, I, I think uh, that uh, we need to make the our efforts punitive towards Iran as well, and uh, they're they're vulnerable in lots of ways. You know, the, a lot of their oil uh, economy is on Karch Island. It's it's very vulnerable for us to attack. There's spy ships in the Red Sea. You know, uh, Reagan sunk half of the Iranian navy, and and lo and behold, there was a peace and quiet uh, in the region for a period of time. Uh, and Trump killed Soleimani, same thing. Uh, so this deterrence is really important. And if we don't deter uh, and if we don't uh, cause pain in Iran proper, then we're not going to we're not going to get to where we need to go. Rich. General, I want you to stick with me. I want to pull on that thread a little bit uh, and find out a little bit more about what it looks like to direct to directly address this with Iran. So, folks, we're on with Major General Bob Dees, retired U.S. Army general. And uh, he was the uh, commander of the U.S.-Israeli Combined Task Force for Missile Defense. He's coming right back with us. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Major General Bob Dees, and he's uh, retired from the U.S. Army after three decades of service and was the commander of the U.S.-Israeli Combined Task Force for Missile Defense. And we left off with, you made a comment, and I think it's one I want to delve into a little bit, which is, you said we have to make Iran proper feel this. And I agree with that. You know, my, my original question last week was, why aren't we hitting Iran? <laughs> like, why aren't we going there and doing something and making some noise? But uh, I understand the implications of that. And there could be other ways of doing it that are not as heavy handed as, you know, st- striking something. But we maybe we should strike something. And if we were, what would those targets be? And what do you have in mind when you say that we need to make Iran feel this? Right. Well, uh, earlier, Rich, I mentioned uh, Karg Island. Karg Island is an island off the coast of Iran, and it has a, a large amount of their Iranian oil production. It's a, a transshipment point. There's also along the coast of Iran uh, four major uh, oil ports, and, and the, the point is uh, economically we can really impact their oil. Uh, we we also can impact uh, some of their intelligence gathering capabilities. They've got uh, some some uh, intel ships in the Red Sea that just float out there. Uh, we know about them. We could easily sink them. That would make a statement. If we're really uh, interested in going a little more serious, clearly we know where most of their nuclear facilities are, and we could do some uh, penetrating strikes on nuclear facilities. Um, the, uh, it's all a calculation, obviously, about uh, where, where's their red line, what would cause them to react. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as worried about that. I think Iran will blink. Uh, you, you look at a comparison of military power, Air Force, Navy, and so forth, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a match. The challenge is that uh, we're also engaged in asymmetric warfare, Rich. You're, you're seeing all these drones. Right. Uh, you know, this, this sort of defies the uh, long-standing air superiority, air parity, you know, calculus uh, that we've used for many decades. And now with these drones, with a, a reasonably cheap drone, uh, they are able to, uh, you know, penetrate and have some um, kamikaze drones, if you will. And and it's a very new and dangerous type of warfare, the, the very warfare that took out some of our U.S. soldiers here recently. So why do you think the um, do you think it's that they're not listening to my radio show and you give this advice? <laughs> I doubt that's <laughs> the case. Right. Why is Biden so uh, I'm going to go with feckless? I, I, I think uh, they have a philosophy, a concept of appeasement. And uh, they they on they're on the liberal side feel like if we just uh, give in to people, then they will be kind and generous and uh, agree to cooperate with us. And we know that uh, Iranian mullahs and uh, dictators and uh, tyrants around the world, that's not the way they operate. That's not their value system. The mullahs understand strength. And so we need to achieve peace through strength, deterrence through strength. Um, and, uh, that's, it's just a difference in a worldview. Regrettably, that's why we need a new administration, Rich. <laughs> Amen to that general. I hear that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about yeah. what's going on with Hamas, uh, Hamas and, 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 uh, the IDF are, are obviously at odds. Uh, how do you handicap this thing? Does it have an end? Does this become uh, the new, um, you know, 20 year war? What, what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't think it's a 20-year war, but it is a, it is long. It's going to be measured in months instead of weeks. 
And uh, the reality is that we're into nitty gritty urban combat. And so it's one bloody dusty boot in front of another. They've done that in the northern part of uh, Gaza. Uh, but there's still uh, some more work to be done in the southern part. The Israelis are working hard to uh, protect civilians, but uh, the, uh, the Hamas is working equally hard to use civilians as human shields, to use hospitals, schools. Uh, so it's, it's, it's ugly, uh, but uh, frankly, it's necessary if we're going to prevent another October 7th. Yeah, I agree with that. And so a month-long battle, I know that there's a lot of... Um pressure now, politically speaking, um, on Netanyahu, but it doesn't seem like there's a way for even his critics to, to kind of oust him at this time. And I think most people are on, uh, at least in Israel, most people are on the side of being safe and not getting attacked again. So they're kind of like, Hey, I mean, I like this guy, but I'm with him. And, and I get that. Um, right. it makes a lot of sense. So with, uh, foreseeably Netanyahu remaining there, do you, um, do you think that this um, 40 day ceasefire that they were trying to negotiate becomes uh, an actuality or is that something you think would not happen with uh, Netanyahu at the helm? Well, like you say, there's a tremendous pressure. I would be surprised if it happens, but there's tremendous political pressure. Um, it's uh, even in our own country. We see what's happening on college okay. campuses and things. It's a, it's a long-term erosion of uh, of conservative view, uh, worldview within, um, you know, the educational hierarchy of America. And, uh, we've, we've done it to ourselves. Uh, and, uh, we have people, you know, protesting in, in favor of Hamas and, and not, uh, criticizing anything that has happened to Israel, but uh, blaming it on Israel. Um, I mean, you, you and I violently agree on this one, I'm sure. Um, I, I think, um, Netanyahu will stand firm and it's just going to take time and uh, people talk about it it's pretty much that right. uh, you know let's we, they need to resolve uh, Hamas and then let's figure out what we talk about next but it's premature yeah now um, general I want to make sure that we um, we give um, the, the website for um, healthy veterans out what is the website for the great work you're doing there at the National Center for Healthy Veterans yeah, well, I appreciate it, Rich. It's uh, healthyveterans.org, healthyveterans.org, and uh, we're just seeing some amazing things. You know, we're a, a longer-term residential. We're we're nine-month uh, program where the veterans come in, do a true life reset, uh, learn about resilience, learn about uh, trauma recovery, learn about uh, career preparation, and then, uh, you know, our our veterans are national treasures. Uh, commitment, yeah. character, competence—you can pull it all together. And we need to get them back out on the street as businessmen and uh, educators. So healthyveterans.org, and y'all come help us because uh, we need all the help we can get to help our veterans. All right, amigos, make sure you support uh, Major General Bob Dees and check out the website, healthyveterans.org. General, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I thank you for staying up late with us. And folks, we're coming right back with your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. 
with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. And we uh, continue our conversation on what's going on in America at night. And one of the things I want to talk about is something that continues to to rear its ugly head, which is uh, censorship. And it's almost like censorship is becoming cool to many of our um, fellow Americans uh, left of center. It's especially if you are somehow affiliated with something they don't agree with. You don't agree with it. Look, there's plenty of things I don't agree with that the left does, but I don't censor them. In fact, I want them to make all the noise they want so I could make more noise in, in, in protest. <laughs> uh, I don't see why, why they don't do it the same way. But we've been seeing it through these um, primaries and the Iowa caucuses where uh, the certain big networks uh, were, wouldn't cover Trump or would cut away as soon as he started talking, saying, well, he's, he's been known to lie. Today, I followed somebody on Instagram. I thought this was interesting. I forget who it was. I, I should have taken a screenshot. But I hit follow, and I got a notification, and it said, are you sure you want to follow this account? They have um, consistently posted false information. This was a pro uh, a pro-Trump, like, surrogate. <laughs> and I just thought, man, uh, talk about um, censoring people. But this is what they do, and they'll censor anybody. They'll censor you, me, anybody else, journalists, you name it. And I want to get to the bottom of that. I want to get, um, you know, the, the, the scoop. And uh, to do that, we're going to talk with the VP of Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity Foundation, Casey Maddox. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh, you bet. So, Tell me a little bit about uh, this story I'm looking at here, uh, because it, apparently there's a there's a journalist that's being uh, censored. And, and this happens more often than not, from what I can see. Casey Maddox. Yeah. So this this case is uh, is, is truly a, a, a stunning uh, example, I think, of the, especially the, the kind of censorship that happens at the local level. Um, so basically, you have a journalist, Priscilla uh, Villarreal. Um, in Laredo, Texas. Um, she, uh, her particular beat is to uh, criticize uh, the local police and the way that they are behaving and the way that they are, um, you know, not doing their job in, in a lot of cases. And so mm-hmm. uh, the police, of course, have, have not liked this, uh, don't enjoy the fact that she is uh, saying things about them, is tweeting about them, uh, and that she's actually starting to get uh, a little bit of notoriety. So uh, she asked some questions about a, uh, a suicide that had happened in the community and about uh, a particular um, vehicle accident that had happened in the community. Police officers were upset about it. They found an old Texas statute that they think allows them to prosecute her for asking the questions, just for asking questions. Um, wow. And so they actually arrest her uh, over this. Clear violation of the First Amendment rights. You've got a journalist who, who asks police officers, you know, the most obvious government officials, um, ask them questions, and she's arrested for this. And the Fifth Circuit actually just handed down a decision that uh, says those police officers were uh, entitled to immunity, that they can't be sued uh, for this action. So it's a closely divided Fifth Circuit. I think this is a case that's, that's going to go to the Supreme Court. But I think this is, despite the fact that this is a case involving police officers, um, and that that looks like the kind of thing that I think for, you know, for a lot of conservatives, you sort of instinctively want to defend the police officers. I, this is a, a something that you see all the time coming from the left and uh, people hiding behind, particularly university officials, 
hiding behind uh, immunity for clearly violating the First Amendment rights um, of, uh, of, you know, of, of law-abiding citizens. Um, so I think this is an issue that should be on people's radar screen and that I hope the Supreme Court takes up pretty soon. Yeah, this is of increasing concern to me. Uh, about, what is it, six weeks ago, there was a lawsuit filed by the New Civil Liberties Alliance with respect to this, um, the State Department setting up this, in, in effect, censorship right committee or whatever, you know, under the name of something else. And and it's uh, it's interesting to me how this is happening. It's happening in that case, government funded here again, government funded. Right. Because the police are government funded and I, I'm as pro police as they come. But I also am pretty um, against big government and them crossing the line. And I'm always pro liberty and pro me. Right. As a citizen. So I look at this and I think, you know, is this me being hyperbolic? Am I seeing an alarming trend of government overreach or are we just looking at a series of isolated incidents that are really um, not a trend in the government getting very comfortable going after regular citizens and shutting them up? Yeah, you know, I, I think there, there is reason uh, to see this as being a uh, not just, you know, more of the same, but as, a, as an alarming new trend. And I, I think it's particularly you're seeing this uh, happening on the federal level, um, you know, the, the example you give of the NCLA case, there have been a series of these cases uh, that I think Murthy versus Missouri that the Supreme Court will hear here soon, where you have Biden administration officials um, just making phone calls uh, and sending emails constantly to social media companies and mm-hmm. asking them to take, uh, take tweets down, uh, take Facebook posts down. Um, there's a, a story actually it was, that uh, I just saw today where uh, evidently there's a uh, claim that the Biden administration was doing this with Amazon, was asking Amazon to uh, downgrade uh, books that the administration didn't like. Wow. Um, this is, you know, particularly I think when you have a, a, an enormous, powerful federal government uh, with thousands and thousands of uh, people who you know, I live here in the in the D.C. area who uh, take the train into D.C., work in large concrete buildings uh, and are empowered, at least they think, to go forth and do good in the world. Uh, and their version of doing good is uh, is censorship. Uh, it's, I think it's a it's a particular concern when you have these, uh, you know, just uh, large amounts of, of federal workers uh, who are who have that kind of power um, and if these companies ultimately have to listen to. Uh, and so they, they end up getting coerced into making decisions um, that the companies may not have made. Um, and I think we're just starting to, to see what these uh, what's really been going on behind uh, behind closed doors. Folks, we're on with Casey Maddox. He's vice president of legal and judicial strategy at uh, Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And uh, I want to continue our discussion with him on free speech. And is it uh, under fire. And I mean, I think it's always under fire one way or another, but it seems that like, uh, he just alluded to, it seems like there is a somewhat of a concerted effort, uh, or at least an alarming trend where the federal government is, is utilizing its, its power to go after anything it doesn't like. And that to me is as un-American as it comes. So stick with us. We're coming right back with Casey Maddox. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. There's efforts right now to force Chick-fil-A stores to remain open on Sundays in New York State. And that's just one of many absurd laws that uh, have been uh, coursing through the nation for decades. This is according uh, to a piece in the New York Post by our guest, Casey Maddox, where he poses the question, <clears throat> several questions, but uh, I outlines a couple of things like it's illegal for donkeys to sleep in bathtubs in Arizona or in Utah. You can't fish from horseback. <laughs> and there's, a, there's plenty more of them. But I find it remarkable that uh, the state would try to force a business to be open on a certain day. And I guess I shouldn't find it remarkable because, you know, I, I live in Bergen County, New Jersey, where everything's closed on Sundays because we still have blue laws. So I guess that's the anti-blue law. Uh, Casey Maddox, tell us a little bit about what's going on here. You know, I think this is basically uh, a story of lawmakers forgetting what exactly their job is. Um, you know, we, we elect people um, to protect our civil liberties, to uh, you know, make sure that our, our property is safe, that our persons are safe, uh, our families are safe. That's basically the job of a lawmaker, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and instead, what we, we end up seeing, this is you know, just so often the case, you have lawmakers who, frankly, I think just get bored with their actual job and they engage, engage in this sort of, uh, you know, sort of culture warring, uh, kind of thing that is really just, um, you know, basically, uh, scoring, scoring points, uh, with their team. But all it does is just limit Liberty for everybody else. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what's happening in, uh, in New York here. You've got, you know, this, uh, this effort to try to uh, solve a supposed problem, uh, of people not having access to uh, to chicken sandwiches on Sundays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there there are other places to eat. Uh, obviously, they're not as good as Chick-fil-A, uh, but mm-hmm. there are other places that you can eat when Chick-fil-A is closed. Uh, right. So you know, this is just, uh, it, it's an unfortunately common occurrence, right? California just decided to uh, to mandate gender-neutral toy aisles. That's correct. Um, you know, I mean, Connecticut for a while has regulated the bounciness of pickles. I don't even know why I want a, a pickle to bounce, but they've, <laughs> they've regulated that, right? So uh, it, it's just a, an unfortunately common reality. Now, I, it doesn't stop there, though. It, it, there's a bunch of these silly things. Uh, there's even one where in California there, there's a push to ban calling a nut-based milk product, um, like almond milk, to not call it milk anymore. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You couldn't call almond milk almond milk. Apparently, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen... Uh, what's the the movie? Um, you know, uh, Meet the Fockers, right? So in yeah. in that in that movie, you know, how do you how do you milk a nut, right? Evidently, mm-hmm. you have lawmakers who, uh, who who think that we really don't understand that almond milk is not actually milk. Um, so they're going to spend their time trying to regulate that instead of, you know, making sure we actually have a budget. Um, so mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I think it's basically it's up to us as, uh, as citizens. That's kind of the the point of the piece was really to say, look, uh, we've got to start actually uh, as, as voters, as citizens, holding lawmakers accountable, not to any particular policy. Uh, I mean, we should do that too, but we should also just make them be serious people uh, who are actually going to focus on what we send them, uh, what we elect them to do, uh, instead of spending their time on, on nonsense like this. 
You know, I think this is so problematic and, and, and emblematic at the same time of how the government really, you know, I guess to put it a nice way is to call it a nanny state. But to, to put it the way I see it is the government truly doesn't respect the citizenry and doesn't see this as a government of by and for the people, but sees it as a government for themselves where we're kind of subservient to them and can't make up our own minds. And I, I for one, find it insulting. But am I in the minority or is it that people don't know? Why, why do you think things like this even, why do they get away with it? Yeah, you know, I think we, uh, too often, I think we, uh, we end up electing uh, officials. We, we end up electing people uh, to be talking heads for us instead of to go do what is frankly should be a pretty boring job being a lawmaker. Uh, it, it ought to be a lot of committee hearings and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know working with with other and reading relatively bills. boring people. <laughs> That's right. That's what it should be. Instead, we end up with uh, with lawmakers who you know seem to spend all their time on social media and and uh, you know and uh, and on talk shows, right? Yeah. And and frankly, <laughs> I'd much rather a world where uh, you know it's all the rest of us are the ones who are on social media talking about them. Um, and they don't have time because they're off uh, actually attempting to uh, you know, make good business. policy and figure out how to spend our tax dollars or how right. to give them back to us. Now, if you had to handicap this thing with Chick-fil-A, um, does this come down to like a constitutional question about their you know, right to, to practice their religion and, and not work on Sundays? Or is there a different way of framing this? Yeah, I think that's basically right. I, you know, I think ultimately, uh, I suspect that uh, that New York will end up backing down over this. Um, I think it's uh, the kind of thing where you you try to uh, you know score some points with your your team, but you don't actually do this because you know I think uh, they, they probably realize that if you you mandate this, uh, most mandates of this kind against conscience don't actually result in people violating their conscience. The bottom line is New York isn't actually going to be able to succeed right. uh, in making Chick-fil-A open on Sundays. Um, all they're going to do is succeed in denying everyone access to Chick-fil-A six days of the week. Um, and I think ultimately they, they have to realize that uh, and they back down off this idea. All right. I hope so. Cause you know, everybody loves their Chick-fil-A folks. We're on with Casey Maddox and uh, we're coming right back. We're going to learn a little bit more about the work he's doing at AFP and uh, what else they're going to be tackling down the road. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We're continuing our discussion with Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And uh, Casey Maddox, in the couple of minutes we have left, I want you to let us know a little bit about the work that you do at AFPF and what can we expect to be coming down the pipe? Well, at, at AFP, AFP is obviously is the uh, the nation's largest 
uh, grassroots organization working to, uh, uh, among other things, uh, uh, defend the American dream. And so uh, what I would, would encourage people to do is to just check out our website. Uh, go to afphq.org and you'll see uh, there there's an action center that's probably the best thing to get connected to because um, it's really a lot of the uh, the current issues that we are working on, that our grassroots are being engaged on, and uh, contacting not only the members of Congress, but uh, but also state legislators, uh, because they need to hear from you, too. Many of the things we just talked about, the sort of uh, things where lawmakers get distracted by shiny objects and miss doing the basic things that they should be doing, a lot of that happens at the state level, um, right. as, we were, as we were discussing. So. Uh, would you would encourage you to go there? I, I mean, you know, the, the list is is long. The things that are on people's mind, uh, securing the border, uh, Bidenomics and the failures of Bidenomics and the way that it's uh, making it uh, much more difficult for people to be able to, to make ends meet. Um, and so I think there are, are plenty of things there, you know, for people to not just sort of uh, take that and accept it uh, and complain about it. Uh, but if you're going to complain, complain to the lawmakers who have the power to actually do something about it. We make it really easy for people to do that uh, through the Action Center at AFBHQ.org. And do you have any um, big lawsuits uh, you're planning coming up? Well, we uh, uh, there there are a few uh, that we are, are monitoring, working on at the Supreme Court. Uh, you, we the, the most uh, the biggest one is the one that was most recently argued, uh, the Loper Bright and Relentless case. This is. Uh, two cases that could fundamentally change the way that the federal government uh, works and make sure that we sort of put back in the in the hands of Congress uh, the job of uh, making laws instead of uh, having them made by uh, unelected bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. There are two very important cases uh, that may have gone under the radar screen uh, but are, are extremely important, uh, and it's likely that those cases will be decided in June this year. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to an update on that when it happens. Casey Maddox, Vice President of Legal and Judicial Strategy at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Uh, I want to thank you for being here with us. Very, very good conversation, and I'm looking forward to updates as we go on. What's the website if people want to check out the the work you're doing? Sure. It's uh, AFPHQ.org. Fantastic. Casey Maddox, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate you staying up late to be with us. And, folks, we're coming right back with Open Phone America. That's right. You guys get to weigh in on everything that's happening in America at night. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. 
And welcome to hour number three of the program. It's Open Phone America, where you get to weigh in. That's a time-honored tradition here on this program, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We had some discussion on on what is going on with with uh, black Americans, uh, and are they going to be on board with Biden or not in the upcoming election? Well, it seems like more and more of them are speaking out, saying they're not very happy with Joe Biden. And with that being said, it's going to it's being said now that there are people saying, well, you know, what happens is if you um, if you do well in South Carolina, then you, you, you didn't lose any black support. And I don't know if we can use South Carolina as a litmus for um, the votes of an entire minority voting bloc. But we'll find out about that. But I want you to hear a little bit of what some uh, black American voters had to say on MSNBC last week. Listen to this. I'm trying to grow my business um, as far as Biden. I haven't seen Biden really care about business like that. And my concern is having my business so that I can build generational wealth so my kids can see and have something for, to, 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 to take upon what I'm not here. You're hearing that, too, that there are some people in your orbit who are either voting for Donald Trump or considering it? For sure. A lot of my friends are obviously my age, so we're a little younger. We've only voted once you know, for actually for a president and Trump is kind of all we know. And they're kind of Trump and Biden. They're like, well, we were broke with Biden. We weren't with Trump. And that's kind of the only thing that I'm hearing over and over again, over and over again, is that well, Trump, we had money. Now, that brings me back to the conversation I had when I went to my favorite gluten free bakery and uh, the proprietor, very sweet woman, took exception to um me saying that, well, I don't think things are so bad. I made the same same point. <laughs> I said, you know, things weren't so bad with Trump. Everybody was making money. My kids had jobs. They were doing good. And my kids still both have a job. But, um, you know, obviously the economy's tightened for sure. And and she was very bothered. And again, her words to me, and I haven't been back to my favorite gluten-free uh, place because I felt like she didn't want me to come back. <laughs> Honestly, she said, that is sad. All you care about is your bottom line. And that is sad. And, and I felt really bad about that. I really did. Because uh, I, I don't know if she like doesn't want to be my friend anymore. I, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that to her. You know, I'm, I, it's not like I go, oh, my gosh, you like Biden or you don't like Trump. I'm never buying from your bakery again. I don't do stuff like that. I don't understand why we have this. This is why so many people are caught up in this. We're going to have a civil war. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people like me out there. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't think most people are, you know, like, hey, which side are you on? Pick a side. Pick a side. I don't think that's the case for most. I think that's the case for, you know, people that are into that. But uh, I don't think that's the case for most people. I think most people don't even care about politics. They're too busy watching the Grammys, right, where Killer Mike got arrested. But uh, Jim Clyburn, Jim Clyburn is uh, the uh, congressman from South Carolina. He says that regarding the South Carolina primary, Biden has not lost any support amongst African-Americans. Listen to this. He got 96 percent of the vote uh, in this primary, but his largest percentage, over 97 percent, was in the town of Orangeburg, where there are two HBCUs and a community college. And he got the largest percentage of the whole state. 
So that demonstrates to me what I've been saying all the time, uh, that Joe Biden has not lost any support among African-Americans. So that's Clyburn. Uh, he's still on board with Biden. And as you know, Biden uh, kind of clinched the deal when he got the, the Clyburn endorsement. That's when he was able to really cut the deal that he cut with Bernie Sanders and the rest of the crew, Hillary Clinton and the rest that were um, um, Kamala Harris. She might have dropped out by that point. But, you know, there was a number of people running for president. Bernie Sanders seemed to be well positioned to, to win it. And then in comes Biden, you know, from behind making this deal. And voila. So um, the, the Clyburn endorsement for Biden was a very big deal back in 2020. Uh, I mean, then, uh, yeah, in 2020. I know what I'm talking about. And we'll see if that continues to ring true. One thing for sure I can tell you is I'm going to a number of places. I've seen a number of people. And the consensus seems to be nobody likes Joe Biden, in particular the Democrats. And, and uh, that, that's not anything new, but it seems to be um, – increasing in popularity. So I want to put that out there. Also, we talked about what's going on with the uh, military conflict that we're having in the Middle East, our 85 strikes. We had a great update from General Bob Dees. And if you miss any of those, you can always check out the interviews. Um, once the show wraps up, we wrap up at 1 a.m. Eastern. So around 1.30 ish, you can go to the website, Rich Valdez, America at Night, and you could listen to the broadcast, re-listen to it, share it, do what you want to do. And of course, from there, it gets published to all of the podcast platforms, whether it's Google Podcast or TuneIn or uh, Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcast. If you're a podcast listener, you could listen to the podcast of this broadcast each day uh, through, through that service as well. Or just go to the website, Rich Valdez, America at Night.com. And... I want to get into a couple of interesting stories tonight. Um, Mr. Hinton in the control room has pointed out three stories in my list of articles that we call the Midnight Zoo here. And these articles, let me give you this, these headlines. I may not get to all of them, so disclaimer. I, am, uh, I might be false advertising with my T's here. But number 15, woman steals memory card from center console of man's car discovers it contains footage of a murder. Yep, that's a real story. Then we've got financial worker gives $25 million to fraudsters using deep fake technology. Hmm. Fascinating. And then we've got folks in Paris are voting to triple the parking costs for SUVs. They would hate me. Anyway, we got a lot more uh, to uh, talk about. Uh, when we come back, the number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. Our next speaker, Johnson, is pay attention to what the Senate's doing. 
We got a bipartisan deal. You're going to see the detail of it this week. It'll be introduced on Wednesday. That is Joel Baboso Biden talking about what's going on with the border bill. He keeps saying, look, we, we got we to gotta get it passed. Speaker Biden, beer. Anyway, so I want to go to your calls on this and uh, see what you guys have to say. Let's uh, go to Daniel, Houston, Texas, listening on KYST Patriot Radio 920. Daniel, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just wanted Pleasure. to make a comment. Um, I, uh, you know, heard the, the Democrat uh, official that you were had on there uh, stating about the 98% how great Biden did in South Carolina. Right. Um, you know, they don't tell the full story. I heard uh, a report that only 4% of the voting public actually came out to vote in the primary. So why is 98% of 4% so wonderful? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. And, and, and you know, uh, again, I, I don't see how, and again, Clyburn wasn't necessarily saying that, so to be fair, um, what um, it was several people were quoting Clyburn in the media saying, well, you know, if Biden is getting that good of a result with black votes in South Carolina, then uh, he's a shoe in for the rest of the country. And that's the part that I think is really problematic here. How, how, how and where and, and why would anybody think that South Carolina is somehow the bellwether for the rest of America when it comes to uh, minority voting? I, I don't get it. Uh, so I think your, your point is, is uh, incredibly um, apt because, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Why, why would we do that, A, for, for that small microcosm of, of the population, and B, um, it makes no sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, Daniel, what do you think happens? I mean, you're, you're in Houston. You're, you're down there. Um, what do you think ends up happening with the border? Does it remain an open disaster, or does, it, uh, does Biden have to shore things up and you know, say, look, uh, the economy's not as bad as you expected it to be? Uh, we had some GDP growth. And guess what? I've empowered our border agents to shut the border down. So reelect me. We're doing good. Do you think he goes that route? I'd say it happened. No, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, and especially the American people, the, the patriots of Texas, know exactly what is going on with that border. Uh, we have known it for many years now. And, I, uh, you know, I, to be in all honesty, the only way that I see Biden getting reelected is if they're able to cheat and, and totally sway, uh, sway the election the way they did in 20. And I, and I honestly believe that they did steal that election in 2020. Yeah, well, without question, there were there were so many um, abnormalities. I mean, just too many to count when it comes to mail-in ballots and mail-in ballots are, are, are just not the recipe for success with with any election. And for that reason alone, right, I think oftentimes when it comes to government, there, there's a, a standard and the standard is usually to avoid the imp- the uh, even the appearance of an impropriety. Right. That's when you work in government. That's a standard that's that's constantly pushed. Yet uh, with an election, they don't mind the uh, even the appearance of an impropriety or let alone an impropriety. They don't care. They uh, they just went with it. And obviously that was um, 
problematic for many people who, you know, lost some trust in the system. And I think we'll hopefully have some trust regained when, you know, we've seen conservative Republicans get elected in New York City. Vicky Palladino won in a landslide in Queens, New York, of all places. So uh, Republicans are winning. Uh, So for anybody who thinks that, you know, we can't ever have a fair election again, I would point you to New York and other places where it was unlikely for a conservative Republican to win, and they did win. doesn't mean that every election is going to be honest, but it also doesn't mean that every election is a fraud. So, Daniel, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, great point. Big shout out to everybody listening in Houston on KYST, the Patriot Talk 920. Excellent station. I plan to come and visit you guys soon, so uh, I'll keep you posted on that as well. Anyway, folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. But, but... I want to play the rest of uh, the Biden clip before we go. So let me set this one up for you. It's the Biden clip uh, that follows the one that we just played. And in this one, Joe Biden, he goes on to say that the Senate border bill addresses all of the House GOP concerns. Listen to this. They're talking about about the border. It's out of control. Well, guess what? Everything in that bipartisan bill gives me control, gives us control without being, and still meets the needs of the people being able to come around, legally come across, run open avenues of legality and shut down the ones that are not coming through the points of entry. So Biden, again, and it's hard to to make sense of everything he says because he really sounds so winded, so tired, so weak, but I don't necessarily agree. Right. I don't think it meets everything that the House GOP is concerned about, because if it was, they wouldn't be saying that the deal is dead on arrival. Now, some are, of course, on the left. They're going to say, well, hold on, Rich. That's exactly the problem here. We've got Trump playing politics. Right. Trump is pushing Speaker Johnson to not um, accept any deal so that he can continue the, the chaos at the border so that we could blame it on Biden instead of actually passing a budget. You've got Congress out there just playing politics with people's lives. And that's shameful. Well, to that, I say, no, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, This border issue is an issue that's been going on for quite a while, right? Really quite a while. And irrespective of, of what's going on for quite a while, we have a certain reality. And the certain reality that we have is there was a president not that long ago that was able to slow down to a trickle the amount of people coming across the border. And then it it, it stopped to a snail's pace once uh, COVID was uh, in full effect and they were able to use the uh, Title 42. So I understand you can't use Title 42 now or at least, you know, whatever the the the, the that's fine. Right. There's no pandemic and I'm not inviting them to to put one in play. However, putting in the um, MPP, the Migrant Protection Protocols, what they call the Remain in Mexico policy. This is a big deal. Right. And this is a policy that worked. And it's just one policy. There's several policies there that I think uh, actually work. Right. But Chuck Schumer, he continues with his shenanigans. He continues to say that it's Trump that wants chaos. Listen to this. So this is crucial for America. It's a turning point. History is going to look over our shoulders and say, did we rise to the occasion? To his credit, Mitch McConnell did. 
but too many Republicans, yeah. including Speaker Johnson, are just scared to death of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has said he wants chaos. Donald Trump has said, well, wait till I become president. That'll take at least a year. Ukraine could be gone. The border will get much worse. War in the Middle East will get worse, maybe bring, bringing, bringing us into it. He's doing it all for political reasons. And let me just say, will senators, the crucial question, the $64,000 question, the majority of Republican senators know this bill is the right thing to do. It's a compromise. I don't like everything in it. Neither does McConnell. But it's a compromise. That's the only way you get things important done in the Senate. We proved that two years ago in our bipartisan legislation. And will the senators drown out the political noise from Trump and his minions and do the mm -hmm. right thing for America? It's a crucial question. History will, is looking down on every one of us right now. Was history looking at you, Senator Schumer, when you threatened the Supreme Court? Right. Was history looking when when any number of bills have been passed? And, you know, something Senator Schumer just said that I thought was really interesting. He said they're, they're afraid of Donald Trump. No, I don't think anybody's afraid of Donald Trump. People are afraid of the massive amount of people that support Donald Trump. That's what they're afraid of. And I, I think it's worthy of note that that massive number of people don't support McConnell and they don't support Schumer. So what does that tell you? It's very clear. The people are behind Trump. That's what these guys are all afraid of. And that's what they've got to get in, in, their, in their head. And I think they know it, and that's why they come at Trump as hard as they do. Anyway, we'll continue our discussions more straight ahead. There's a, a couple of interesting stories on missiles that I want to share, plus that other story I teased before. And, uh, well, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it for you guys. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. If you want to join us, feel free. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. After sunrise, we saw the first group of migrants make their way from Mexico through a gap between the 30-foot steel border fence and rocks, Ooh. ducking under a bit of razor wire and into the United States. We were surprised to see the number of people coming through from China, nearly 7,000 miles away. So how old are you? I'm 20 years old. This man, a college graduate, told us he hoped to find work in Los Angeles. He said his trip from China took 40 days. What countries did you go through? Uh, Thailand, Morocco, Ecuador, Ecuador, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, uh, Nicaragua. 
Jeez. 30 minutes later, a smuggler's SUV raced along the border fence and dropped another group at the same spot. So that's a report from 60 Minutes CBS News saying that Chinese illegal immigrants are the fastest growing group crossing the border from Mexico into the U.S. at the southern border. Fastest growing group. Now, this has to be alarming. Right. If anybody's out there saying, oh, come on, Rich, now you're just being a xenophobe. Now you're just being like, you know, uh, one of those people during covid, you know, you can't call it the what was it, the China virus and whatever. No, no, no. Uh, a, you can call it that, I think. And B, what what in the world is happening here? Why on earth are people leaving China to come to the United States through our southern border? Whatever happened to the people that were, you know, give me your tired, your poor, looking for the American dream, people coming from El Salvador. Oh, that's right. El Salvador elected a president that uh, many say is the Trump of El Salvador, and he's fixing crime and he's fixing the country. So less people are leaving and we're having less immigration from El Salvador. But now we're seeing more coming in from China. Now, is it women and children that are coming from China? No, it's not. It's men that are all old enough to fight, fighting age men. You know, people used to tell me this a while back. And I was like, ah, I think you're making a, a lot, a, much ado about nothing. But I don't agree with that anymore. After you talk to a couple of generals and you talk to a couple of people that are uh, serious people, people that have experience that I don't have, and they sit there and they tell you, listen, we've got a problem on our hands and we don't know how this will form, what it'll form. But at, at when you have 7 million people, and again, I don't know if that's part of Biden's plan, right? I think Biden's plan is just to replace the electorate to just have people that that he's helped out and he can cash in a favor and say, hey, listen, it's me, you know, I need you to uh, bend for a friend, so to speak, and uh, bend their will to his. But no, no, no. I think what's happening here is that that loophole, if you want to call it that, or this weakness is being exploited by by our enemies. And we're seeing the results of it when 60 Minutes, of all people, is covering a story that, you know, Donald Trump has been echoing for forever, saying they're coming from China. They're sending us their worst. Right. And it's true. All of it's true. I think Trump put out a tweet today or a truth, uh, truth on Truth social, his um, social media site. And he said, what haven't I been right about? <laughs> and of course, that's true Trumpian fashion. But I think the bottom line there is he has been right. And there is an alarming trend of of uh, Chinese nationals coming through the border. So I want to, you know, beg the question of you, the audience. What happens here? Are, are they proliferating different types of weapons? Are they the weapons are here? Are they joining sleeper cells? Are they just coming here to to work in the restaurant industry? Like, what what do you think they're coming here for? I'm very curious to know your thoughts on this. I also want to. Um, get your take on some of the other topics that we've discussed. But this is the fastest group, Chinese immigrants. And again, these people are coming through a four-foot gap at the end of the border fence uh, near San Diego, uh, also coming through Texas. This illegal entryway, it's a new route for those that are hoping to be in the country. And uh, they're ducking right under the razor wire that's supposed to stop them from coming into the United States. I'm looking at a picture right here. There's a woman, um, Young woman, young man, another young man, another one behind him. And they literally just ducked right under the razor wire. And there's a gap that just lets people right in. 7,000 miles away, as you heard in the report. Crazy. 
Look at this. And then there's a photo of the ground. You see the uh, passports thrown on the ground for the, uh, they, once they get to stateside, they throw their um, information on the floor so that they don't have ID when they approach. Crazy. Just absolutely crazy what's going on here. Look at this photo. I'll, I'll put this out on Twitter so you can take a look at it at Rich Valdez with an S and uh, let me know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Police in Bellevue say an Air Force museum in Ohio called them last Wednesday evening. Museum officials told police they got a call from a man who wanted to donate a rocket that belonged to a neighbor who'd died. Well, that man told police their neighbor had originally bought it from an estate sale. The police department's bomb squad went to the man's home the next day. They did deem that rocket inert. They said it contained no rocket fuel, so there's no risk of it exploding. Police just left the rocket in the man's garage so he can ultimately donate it to a museum. So this guy, again, you heard it right there from the report. This guy finds a missile in his garage. Now, it was his neighbor's garage or his neighbor's missile. The guy died. He left him the the stuff and, you know, boom, uh, he's got it now. And it's fascinating. I'm looking at a picture of this. I'll put this out on Twitter as well if you want to go. It's at Rich Valdez with an S if you want to see this picture. Wow. Let me tell you something. This is, it looks like it's as long as a car. And it's really, really old and scratched up. But fascinating that they're going to let him keep this missile. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I've always wanted my own missile, you know, but I don't have a missile. This guy's got a missile. Pretty cool. Now, with respect to that, would you if you could, right? Is that part of the Second Amendment? Um, I'd love one. But it, it begs the question, can regular people just go building nuclear weapons? Well, that's the question that's posed in an essay that's in the, the Wall Street Journal by Sharon Weinberger, saying that uh, she first learned of a secretive Pentagon-funded study about rogue nuclear entrepreneurs about five years ago from uh, Steve Lukasik and a former head of the uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, saying they were talking about the Office of Net Assessment, the Long-Term Analysis Division of the Pentagon, and then they were talking about China's rise in its capabilities And Lukasik looked at whether a private company or a wealthy entrepreneur could provide nuclear weapons. With this following quote, listen to this. We worked out what a private organization would do if it wanted to build and sell nuclear weapons. It turned out only to be a fairly profitable business. Intrigued, uh, she asked if he would share a copy. A few days later, uh, they they met and uh, or actually he sent over four volumes of the study which was completed back in 2013. The report laid out in exquisite detail 
um, how such an enterprise could operate. And it took as little as only $1 billion. <laughs> and uh, this investment, um, would, along with five years, could produce the first bomb. So they're wondering, you know, could this happen in Tehran? Could this happen in, in other parts of the world where you have a, a wealthy donor come in and say, yeah, you know, I love the idea of a nuclear Iran, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chime in. Rather than, you know, these uh, proxy groups and whatnot, just an actual you know, Silicon Valley type saying, yeah, I got your back. Interesting, right? I don't know. I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on this because I think it's kind of crazy. Let's go to Al. He's in Kalispell, Montana on KOFI. Al, uh, what do you think about this? Should private individuals be able to finance nuclear weapons? Uh, No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, why not? I don't know. It just sounds too dangerous to have someone unstable out there. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think, kind of... I think we, we regulate other countries from having nuclear weapons. Why wouldn't we regulate some guy that has enough money to just do it, right? Um, that would mean if you're rich, all of a sudden you can become your own country and you could start your own army and voila, you could take over the world literally or at least disrupt the world. Uh, so I think that's a good point. Now, Al, tell me about your dad. He was born in the U.K.? Yeah, my dad was born in London, England. Um, my my uh, my uh, grandparents were both American citizens, and my father was born in London, an American citizen, not a crown subject. And you know, like my grandfather, uh, grandfather was World War One veteran. My dad was a World War Two veteran. Um, you know, both honorably discharged, you know, why can't we pass a law here saying that if you're born in the United States and your parents are not American citizens, then they choose a nationality of their origin for their child. Yeah, I I think that's uh, something that we could entertain. I think the issue there is there's been an interpretation of the, the 14th Amendment which has allowed for chain migration. And it's, it's kind of until that gets reread and reheard and relitigated. Um, I think we're, we're, we're kind of screwed on, on that one. I mean, there's a, a couple of constitutional issues that I think we need to, to bring to the table. I think the other one is term limits, right? Those are two uh, very important um, constitutional questions that I think need to be answered and resolved and, and heard by the court. Um, good point. And uh, speaking of the UK, uh, what are your thoughts on the the uh, King of England, King Charles, uh, formerly known as Prince Charles, uh, announcing he has cancer and he's going to be going into treatment, so he's not going to be kinging too much lately? Well, I wish him well. I mean, you know, I mean, the guy's got cancer. You know, I don't want to see anybody have cancer. You know, I mean, I'm sure his taxpayers are willing to pay for that. I'm with you, Al. Uh, I think, um, you know, their taxpayer-funded uh, medical system hopefully will get him the best treatment. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he left the country to get the best treatment uh, because, you know, when you're a king, I guess you can do those types of things. Al in Kalispell, Montana, listening on KOFI. Thank you for your call. We continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Swing it over to the middle of the country, Chicago, WGN. Let's check in with Jim. Hey, Jim, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. All right. Thank you, Rich. Um, I'm calling for the uh, resignation of Alvin Bragg. Uh, He has a history, and that history had to go all the way back to, he was like the chief overseer for the, um, let's see, Department of Commerce, first New York where it was a census concern. And what that did ultimately was practically change the demographic of the Democrat and the Republican in the uh, each district. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, listen, I'm no fan of uh, D.A. Braggs. I think there's a number of things that he's done, uh, not the least of which is what he's most famous for now, uh, which is bringing the, this uh, frivolous charge against President Trump that m- most most of the lawyers I've spoken to think that it, it, a, it was crazy. They never should have brought it and B that it'll never work. But yet, uh, that that's what he's done. And I think if we look at that, just that example, man, let me tell you, uh, I think he's not really taken seriously by his peers. I don't think, uh, other, um, attorneys, I mean, I guess if you work for him, you're probably like, yeah, you know, thank you, um, Mr. District attorney. But uh, I think for the most part his his real peers, think the guy's useless as a litigator and he's useless um, with that regard, right? With with regard to the Trump case. I will say uh, I went to a a, um, a funeral or a wake not too long ago and I bumped into somebody that was associated with his office and said that as an operator, like running the office as an administrator, that he brought a lot of um, good change to that office that helped them function better to um, to help women that were, you know, uh, assaulted, victims of domestic violence, things of that nature. There was like a backlog, and um, he streamlined certain systems and and made it better for for these uh, attorneys to be able to bring those cases. So, um, and that's from somebody that you know works, and, and you know, I would say is probably neutral. I wouldn't say they're a critic of his or a fan of his, but. Um, they they had some positive things to say in terms of him as uh, like I said as an actual manager, uh, but when it comes to his political sense, I think it, he's incredibly ambitious and will do anything he can to make a name for himself, including trashing the former president and bringing a, a frivolous case. So um, that's my thought on on that one, Jim. Thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Chicago on WGN. And speaking of women. Um, you know, there's a story here about a hooker, a prostitute, a woman of ill repute, a woman of the night. And this working girl stole a memory card from one of her Johns, right? One of her clients, a, a, a seeker of sex work, if you will. And it turns out this thing is a key, uh, a major clue 
to an Alaska murder trial. Listen to this. This gets crazier as it goes. First of all, when you see the picture of this woman, you're going to be like, wow, that people are paying her for sex work? That's crazy. That's the biggest story here. But then there's uh, this story. It's Anchorage, Alaska. And this woman, she's got a lengthy criminal history, theft, assault, prostitution. And she gets into a truck with a guy who had picked her up for a, um, a date, quote unquote date, near Anchorage, uh, close to the downtown section. When he left her alone in the vehicle, she stole a digital memory card from the center console of his car. Now, more than four years later, she found on that card what is the clue to a double murder murder trial that's about to begin this week. Gruesome photos and videos of a woman being beaten and strangled at a Marriott hotel by her attacker speaking in a strong accent, and he urged her to die. Wow. Absolutely hard. I'm not going to read the rest. It was kind of crazy, but uh, very brutal. And, you know, it's uh, it's horrible. So the the bottom line here is she finds this major clue and it's like a breakthrough in this case. And after a week after she has she gets this SD card, she turns it over to the police. And now they're, you know, they're putting all the pieces together. Now, what's interesting here is. Why on earth, if you are a hooker and you get into a car with a guy and he leaves you alone for a minute, why of all things do you steal a SD card, a digital memory card from the center console? Like what value do you think, did she think that possessed? I don't know. Uh, I think this whole story is crazy. And as it unfolds, we'll get you, um, you know, all the updates on it. But the, uh, it's a very interesting story of how this woman was killed and the person that they uh, now suspect uh, guilty of a couple of other murders. And, uh, you know, they, cack, they cracked this cold case wide open. And uh, I, I just thought that was a fascinating story. Anyway, folks, that's it for me. The music means it's time for me to go. Uh, but you get to stay here and listen to the next show, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Until then, until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless you, America. Tomorrow we're going to have a kick-butt show, so I hope you tune in. And uh, get at me on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S. Good night, America. God bless. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.